0: I am Jen Wilson, author and body, mind and soul coach. Welcome to the I Am podcast, where we explore who you are. Hi, it's Jen from the I Am Jen Wilson podcast. And today's podcast is with Victoria Cunningham, let's get the word out, Cunningham, and Victoria had reached out to me. We are friends on social media. We have been for a long time. We met for the first time in real life about eight or nine weeks ago. Victoria had reached out and said, would love to be on your podcast. I would love to have a chat about running a business with bipolar. So that's what I invited her on to talk about. There was so much about the condition of bipolar that I had never thought about, I had never considered, I didn't understand. Um, I do actually know a couple of people that have been diagnosed with bipolar and I've never they've never openly talked about it other than oh this is what my diagnosis is, I'm on medication. Um they never and I'd never crossed my mind to even ask more information about it. I don't really know and you'll hear when we talk about it in the podcast. I don't really know what I thought it was other than it was a mental health disorder didn't really give it any other consideration so I was so grateful to Victoria to come on and be open about her experience of it and yeah just her story which has been really really fascinating to hear so as always if you're listening to this and somebody else pops into your mind of, oh, this would be really useful for them to hear or to listen to, then please share the podcast with them. If you love the podcast, give us a like, make sure that you've subscribed, leave a comment, leave some feedback. It helps other people be able to find the podcast. So enjoy the this week's show and I will see you on the other side. Welcome to another episode of the I Am Jen Wilson podcast and on today's podcast I have Victoria coming on. Victoria, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much.
0: I'm excited to have you on because we've kind of known each other on social media for a little while now and we've got quite a lot of mutual friends that are not all within. In fact, most of our mutual friends are not even within the same
1: circles. Yeah,
0: yeah they're totally out with it so it's like oh we must have to know each other
1: Uh uh-huh (laughs) uh-huh
0: now we do now we do got to meet you in person in november next year um
1: no it was january the start of january it just feels a lot longer ago
0: (laughs) yeah so that was only what date says the 19th of march or something like that so yeah it was only like eight weeks ago we got to meet in real life
1: And um, I know, but it does feel like we've known each other forever. Yeah, yeah, because
0: social media is amazing like that. Yeah. So why don't you kick off by telling the listeners what it is that you do, who you are and what you do?
1: Okay, so um, what I normally say to people is um, that I run an organisation called Stretch Body Mind, and I train people to become yoga teachers, Pilates instructors, and all round food eggs so I just like that little bit because it's about also having a little bit of personality um, and the training is not creating people who are automatons or replicants of me but they actually go out and they are their own best teacher
0: yeah that's so good because some of the some of the schools out there that do that kind of instruction is very much here's your script Yes. here's your choreography, here's the moves you have to do, and this is the kind of personality we want you to have. Yes. Let's end up with this mishmash of watered-down versions of people and nobody's real personalities or people's real personalities struggle to come through.
1: Yes, very much so. And I think if you, have, if you allow your own personality to come through, you will attract your own clientele. So the people who are my clients are not gonna be, you know, the same as the people who are your clients and so on. But if we're all trying to be exactly the same as each other, then we're all trying to I don't know, compete for the same person. Um, and I don't you know, I don't think that's a good way to be in business. Yeah, definitely
0: not. How long um, how
1: long have you been doing this? Well, God I right okay so i'll give you I'll give you a very brief rundown of the last thirty years. <laughs> um, so I started to practice yoga when I was thirteen um with a book, and as you might be able to hear from my accent, I am northern Irish, mm-hmm. so it was quite a, a really unusual thing for someone in the troubles in Northern Ireland to suddenly have this interest in Hinduism and yoga and you know, world philosophies, Um, but I just fell in love. Um, So when I was 16, my mum allowed me to go to the local tech, and I went to a class in the tech, and it was one of those ones where I was the youngest, about 50 years. Wow. Yeah, it was all sort of old 1960s people. The the teacher wore a skirt and high heel shoes. (laughs) And, and we, this, we didn't have yoga mats, so we practiced on sleeping bags. And we did our yoga pose for like two minutes on the sleeping bag, and then we got into the sleeping bag and lay down for two minutes. Then we got back up again and did our next pose, and then lay down. So we had a two hour yoga class that probably had about 40, 45 minutes of actual exercise in it. Um, so very indulgent, very lovely. I mean, I just loved it. And um, um, I went off to university and it wasn't hugely popular at that time, uh, but I did do the odd class. And um, then I can't remember what happened. I think I moved to Australia. Australia is one of those countries that's very uh, fitness orientated. You know, they're they're interested in their health. You know, they've got the ideal um, environment to, to get fit. And uh, so I started to practice yoga lattes over there. I'd never heard of that, um, but I started to practice that and thought it was really interesting, um, and then I ended up, um, I did my first yoga teacher training in Canada in 2001, and that was kundalini yoga, which is really um, esoteric, I would call it, you know, quite hippy-dippy, um, but I loved it. I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, unfortunately, when I was in Canada, my mom uh, got breast cancer, so She phoned and she said, can you come home? And I thought, well, yeah. So uh, of course I came home. And to try and practice Kundalini was bad enough, but to try and teach it, again, Northern Ireland, we were still in the troubles at that stage. And people were not interested in this crazy, um, wearing white, having a spiritual name, chanting in foreign languages, they just It just meant nothing to them. So I retrained as a hatha yoga teacher and started practicing. And then in 2006, I decided I was going to give up my full-time job, which was as a youth and community worker. Um, and I was going to run children's yoga classes. So um, I realized very quickly that I couldn't make make a living just running children's yoga classes. I also needed to teach in the evenings. And all the gyms that I went to, I said to them, I'm interested in teaching yoga. And they would say, no, we've got our teacher. She's 85 years old. She's got six students. And, you know, there's no way we can conflict against that. So that was fine. But they all said to me, if only you could teach Pilates. So having had that experience a few years prior in Australia with yoga Pilates, I thought, right, I'll go and get the qualification. No interest in it just um I needed the money basically and um so I did my first qualification in Pilates and actually found it fascinating I so I ended up doing a lot of self-study on it because I find that what we had in Ireland wasn't wasn't enough and um the more I um studied and the more I got into it um the more I wanted to share that with other people so even though yoga was my first great love Pilates was the first teacher training that I delivered. So I um, started delivering it in 2011 in Northern Ireland. I was the first agency in Northern Ireland to deliver the new Level 3 qualification, which was pretty impressive. And I've been doing it ever since. So yeah, and then when I moved to Scotland, which was late 2012, um, I then decided I really want to focus on the yoga teacher training as well. So I spent about a year devising a curriculum and something that I was happy with. So now I'm delivering Pilates instructor training in Glasgow, in um, Belfast and yoga teacher training in Northern Ireland, Scotland and England, north of England. So, yeah, so it's all spread out to be really lovely, actually.
0: It's amazing. So I teach both Pilates and yoga as well. And a lot of people are surprised that I teach both. And like, so what's the difference? How do you make um, like the difference to people?
1: It depends who I'm talking to. So if it is just a client going, which class should I go to? I'll say, well, if you want more flexibility, go to yoga. But if you want more core strength, go to Pilates. Yeah. To me, the strength element of Pilates is much bigger than the, than it is in yoga. Um, when it comes to teacher training, how I describe it is Pilates instructor training is a style of exercise. You're training to become an exercise leader. But yoga teacher training is a way of life. Yeah. You're training to become someone different. And I think that's reflected in the training itself. It's a much longer process. Um, I mean, it's double the length. I, my, my Pilates is still quite long. Um, we do it over five weekends. But um, the yoga is over 10 weekends. Yeah. So, it, and we'll- yeah.
0: Doing my yoga teacher training, you, that, you scratch the surface and you go, fuck, I know nothing.
1: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I,
0: I, I still know nothing. You know,
1: I say all the time, this is always a yoga practice. It's never a yoga perfect. Because the more I read I into philosophy, the, the, just the more I'm like, oh, good Lord, I don't know anything. And yeah, and things I was so sure about in my 20s. <laughs> Now in my forties, I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> where was I coming up with these ideas?
0: Um, go back and hug myself and be like, yeah, yeah. oh honey, you've not got a fucking clue. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. And I remember being, you know, when I started, I was 26, and I felt like, especially because all the other teachers, yoga teachers, were a lot older at that stage, so I felt so immature and um you know, I had that imposter syndrome. Who am I to do this? I'm far too young. And now it's probably the opposite. I'm like, oh, who am I to do this? I'm far too old. I don't understand social media. I'm not doing Instagram correctly. Um, You know, it's, I'm like, I need to pay a teenager to do my social media for me. And it's, and I don't move into those um, Instagram worthy poses the way I used to. So My, my days of crazy arm balances are long gone
0: I think because I came into yoga much later um I won't like I started out per- as personal trainer and fitness instructor so I've come into, into yoga from the other uh, from the other side of the fitness world and for me yoga is so not about those postures
1: no no
0: those instagramable pictures when people see them, I think for a lot of it intimidates me when I see these. Yes. Like, super flexible and crazy shapes. And I'm like, shit, I'm, I must be a shit teacher. But my teacher and his teachers are always like, it's not about the pose. It's not about the pose. It's, it's not. About you. Uh-huh. Like, I hear you. And then you see somebody on Instagram doing some crazy pose and you're like, shit, I'm not good enough. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What? And you say it and you teach it, and I tell my class this all the time. It's not about the pose, it's not about how the pose looks, it's about how you feel in it. Yep. And yeah. Yep. And security still creeps in. Because we're human mm-hmm. egos.
1: And yeah, and I think then we add that other layer on because students come into classes is one thing, but students coming to training have these ideas in their head or expectations. And we had a student once it was a number of years ago, probably about four years ago, um, she joined our training and then she told us about that she'd been to someone else for an open day and then the, the, the teacher had said can you hold headstand in the middle of the room unaided for three minutes and she said no I can't I can't even do it up against up against the wall because I've been practicing at home and I don't have any safe um you know I've no safe practice. So then the, this open day continued, and at, for some reason, the teacher said goodbye, I'll see you all on the training, except for you because you can't hold headstand. And pointed her out and told, like, basically said in front of everybody that she wasn't good enough to attend their yoga teacher training. So I was so glad because it meant she attended mine, and it wasn't about her being good enough at asana it was about the fact that she could do all of these other things um and that that's what made her a really good because she'd been embarrassed by it in the past so she knew not to do it to anyone else
0: but that i mean everything about what that person did and said is so not yoga
1: oh god no it's so much about ego I think sometimes that's what happens. The ego takes over and people are like, Well, this is my school, my name's on the on the thing, so I want everybody to be of a certain standard. That's you know, that is just egotistical to the to the N And it's not about me as a trainer, it's about them as a teacher. Yeah. So yeah. And again, like you said, it's not about you as a teacher, it's about your students and how they feel in the pose and and all of that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think for me, I remember one of my, um, it wasn't even a yoga teacher that taught me this. It was Doyle who was, worked at, when I worked at ICG, the undercycling group, and I was training you know, to be a master trainer. And we were going on stage at one of the at the um, IFS in Blackpool, the big fitness yes. convention. And I was shitting myself, because so I was going on stage to to 60 people, fully booked. And I was like the first one up to do a class by themselves on the stage. Uh-huh. And he's like, it's not about you; it's about them. And that just completely switched it for me to be able to go yep. and take that pressure off myself. It's like this isn't; it is never about me. Uh huh.
1: Uh huh. <laughs> Absolutely. Whether you're teaching one person or sixty people, yes, it's not about you; it's about that person or those people. And uh huh. And it it does. It takes the pressure off you as a teacher, and it it puts it back onto them enjoying the experience yeah
0: when I reached out to say that I was looking for some people to come on to the podcast you Mm -hmm. said that you would love to come on and have a chat about something particular okay yeah do you want to talk about
1: that yeah yeah the particular thing that I wanted to talk about is running a business and running a successful business while um, dealing with a mental health condition so I have a mental health condition called bipolar disorder Um, used to be called manic depression and it's characterized by um, extreme high moods, followed by extreme low moods. Um, I was diagnosed with it in 2009, but I believe that I've had this illness all my life. Um, I also believe that my grandmother had it. But it wasn't one of those things, you know, that was diagnosed in those days. She was just bad with her nerves uh, when we were kids. And some days we'd go over to visit granny and she'd be on top of the world. She'd be dancing about. She'd be giving you money. And the next, you know, two days, you'd go around. She was lying in bed telling everybody she was dying. And, um, you know, the highs and lows all the time um, were very challenging for my parents to deal with. Um, But not so much for us as kids, I guess we were. Sort of hidden from the worst of it. Um, But it was, yeah, it was interesting because I always thought, oh, I've got depression. Um, And then to realize that it's not depression, it's actually something more than that. Um, And having bipolar disorder is one of those illnesses. This is my own experience, obviously. um, It's one of those illnesses where I think things are worse when you're in a high mood than when you're in a low mood. So I've done things in a high mood um, that then, when when my mood dips down again, it's like, oh God, how do I deal with that? Um, so I've done things like, you know, I quit I quit a job, told my boss to go fuck herself basically, and walked out. Um, at that time, I the thing with bipolar as well is that sometimes you find yourself self medicating with. Um, alcohol or drugs. And I remember at that time I was drinking at lunchtime and I was drinking during, you know, during the day. I was drinking every evening. Um, I'd alienated all my friends. This was in my 20s. So this was the first real incident of, of having a, a, a high mood. Um, but um, it was followed by a very deep crash um, where I thought I'd never... I don't know. I I just thought I wouldn't survive it. Um, And instead, what I ended up doing was that's when I moved to Australia because I kept saying I just needed to get the sun on my back, which, um, you know, vitamin D is important, but I don't know why I was saying this. I just felt like I needed a real change of scene and um, just to be somewhere else. And actually, it was the makings of me because when I went to Australia, I did come off the antidepressant medication and I learned to... Really listened to what my what my body was telling me and what my mind was telling me, um, so I found that very useful. Everything was ticking along then, lovely, for quite a few years, and then um, in 2008 I had another high incidence of high mood, um, which was actually characterised by a sort of sense of megalomania um, that I could do anything. Um, I was overworking. I started to um, see things that weren't there. So, for example, I was watching TV and people on the TV would turn around and speak directly to me. Um, and I would look to, you know, my friends and family who were watching TV and say, did you see that? And they didn't see it. Um, so it was, it was very scary, actually. Um, and one of the things that happened during that time was that one of the voices told me that I should run my car off the road um and it it wasn't so and it was like I remember it really clearly it's not so that you'll kill yourself it's so that you will hurt yourself badly enough that people will realize you're sick yeah and um and 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 so well I did I had a I had a small car accident um and ended up then being you know, diagnosed with bipolar after that. Um, so it took a long time as well for me to accept the um, the diagnosis. I think it's one of those things, especially when you're feeling um, normal, for want of a better word, um, then you're like, well, I don't need meds. I don't need anything. Um, but I remember when they, they talked about they were going to start me on medication, I, I basically went around to my oldest friends, the people who'd known me the longest, and said, right, these are the symptoms of this. And they're saying I have this, and everybody was smiling at me and nodding and going, "Yes, Victoria, yes, you have this," and mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, really?" And so when you hear it enough times from your friends and family, you realise, "Yeah, this is real." Yeah,
0: because they can see you yeah. from the other
1: Very much so. I think I think actually it is scarier for them than it is for you because a lot of the things that that happened during that time I don't really remember. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's strange, but that's just, you know, how the mood goes. Um, So, yeah. Um, And since then, I've been on lithium uh, medication uh, for over 10 years now. And, um, and I'm pretty good. I do stick to my tablets. I also have other tablets and they're called antipsychotics. It's not because I'm psychotic. It's more to make sure that I don't develop a psychosis and also I need to sleep. Um, it's definitely one of the things about bipolar. If you don't get enough sleep, you can your mood can really lift, or it can really dip. Um, so I moved from the Scottish countryside um, in April, May this, last year, and I noticed um, about early June that my mood had really lifted. Um, the good thing about... Um, about me, I guess, is that I am really high functioning. I am still able to carry on and do my own job. I swear it's the reason why I'm self-employed, because no employer would have me. Um, but, I, you know, I'm very conscious of this thing. It's like, is this mania or am I just happy? You know, and what felt like happiness at moving back to Glasgow very quickly um, shot up into mania. And I knew it. I knew it straight away. And I went, I actually joined the new GP and I said, I need to speak to a, psych- a psychiatrist or some professional as soon as possible because my mood is not, this is not normal. Um, and it is a... Con-
0: when you were in the countryside?
1: Well, like in, the, in the countryside, I think I was in hibernation. And I think what had happened was I came out of um, the countryside. Um, my mum had had... Um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma so she had been diagnosed with cancer and so I was doing a lot of stuff still traveling back and forward to Ireland to look after her and in the middle of all that um, my husband left me so I think I was just in a sort of very low mood and then the move to Glasgow felt like um, a new sense of freedom and that I could do anything Um, and just because you feel like you can do anything doesn't mean you (laughs) can't.
0: do you really really realize how how sensitive and switching yeah like i don't really know much about bipolar um i've not met that many people that have had it and i've I've opened up and spoken about it in the way that you are just now so this is like really useful I yeah i was going to say i would have just said it was high moods or low moods but not thinking how extreme the high can get well if somebody lifted that's great but It goes beyond, yeah, if you're happy to manic.
1: Yeah. Yeah, to to the extent that I, you know, that there are certain physiological things that happened. I started to get really hot. So I wasn't wearing as many clothes. And I mean, Glasgow, even in the summer, is not that warm. But I was like stripping off um, and I was wondering about talking to strangers, like having full-on conversations with strangers and, um, you know, just certain things. And then in my work... I find when my mood is high, I make promises about things that we're going to do. Let's take over the world. We're going to run the whole world. We're going to teach Trump how to do yoga or whatever, you know, things come up. And then the problem is the mood dips, the, you know, the tablets kick in and the energy levels go and I can't live up to what I've promised And that's, for me, that's a big challenge in in terms of running my own business. The other thing is, at the moment, I am in the dip following the high, and I still have to carry on. You know, it's, I I have other people who are reliant on me for their income and welfare. So yeah, work just has to to keep on going. Um, And it's one of those things that I said, um, you know, people are self-isolating because of the coronavirus, but actually... I've been preparing for this. I've been self-isolating for a few months now. Actually, <laughs> like as soon as um, I did the event in the in January, which you had mentioned with Max Strom, um, I think as soon as that finished, my my body went into shutdown. I ended up with a three-week uh, chest infection, um, a number of skin infections, and um, I just felt like my whole body was falling apart, and um, my moods. I just kept saying, I'm just stressed, I'm just stressed. And I'm very grateful for um, Glasgow um, Health System because I do have a a CPA and a community psychiatric nurse that I get to talk to when I need to. I've got a psychiatrist that I get regular appointments with. But I had basically seen the, the nurse and was telling her, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then she slid this sheet of paper over to me that had a list of the signs and symptoms of mania and depression but these were signs and symptoms that I had written myself when I was in a more stable mood. And basically in that hour long conversation with her, I mentioned every single one of the signs of depression. And she's like, sorry to say this, but you're, you're in depression right now. Um, And it is really, um, yeah, it's really challenging um, because you do want to just hide away from people. And normally I'm very extroverted and, um, I also, um, you know, I, I like going out and, and I get energized by being around people. But at the moment, I'm quite happy that I don't have to go anywhere. It's it's working really well for me. <laughs> oh, dear. And, um, and there's something about, uh, you know, something like this which has been so unprecedented. Um, it takes me out of my own individual... Depression and makes me look a little wider than myself, and I think that's really important as well. Um, so I just have to be aware of my moods, um, keep in regular contact with my healthcare providers, and take the medication. And you know, and that's that's all I can do. And the other thing that I can do, which is why I wanted to talk to you, is to be open about it. Because I think, you've, as you said, you, you've not met that many people with bipolar disorder. But actually, you've probably met quite a few. But there is this shame around having a mental health condition that people don't want to talk about. You know, you've got a broken leg or got a broken arm. You're going to see it in a cast. But you've got a broken head. Um, that's that's a lot easier to hide. Um, and I don't think people should hide it. I think um, I think people should be open and honest about their 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 you know their illnesses so that I'm not asking for people to be uh, nicer to me but just that that they will have a better understanding of why sometimes I'll make these promises and then other times I'm like I can't even get out of bed yeah so what
0: is bipolar is it a genetic thing? Is it a brain malfunction? Is it a gene malfunction? Is it? Do they? Do they even know?
1: I don't think they really know. Um, you know, I've always found it interesting because I have a sister, and that she doesn't have it, um, but she has her own issues. And everybody has issues. I mean, we're all on a scale of, um, you know, happiness to sadness. And I remember one of my GPs saying to me years ago, she said. You know, everyone's on the scale, but you just feel things more than other people. So someone who's bipolar will feel more depressed than someone who hasn't. You know, their depression will be devastation. Um, you know, their, their good mood will be elation.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, uh-huh, and it can be hard to control them. And they do say that there, is, you know, there are some genetic parts of it. Um, I think in many ways it could be tra- uh, trauma-related um, I did, you know, as I've mentioned before, I did grow up in the trouble for Northern Ireland. And well, you know, we all have adverse childhood experiences that we need to deal with. And some of the traumas that I had, um, other people would be able to deal with them easily and other people wouldn't, you know. So I think it may have had an impact on my health. Um so yeah, it's just yeah, it's just an interesting one and it's just you know, I know some people, they get that diagnosis and that's it, right? Happy days. I'm never going to work again. I'm no use to anybody, but that's not true. Um, we're all of use to somebody and um, you just need to keep going. Um, and,
0: yeah, it's,
1: yeah, that's that's what I think about it. Yeah,
0: um, there's a question kind of brewing in my head that I'm trying to find the right way towards it. Because okay. um, I think... Like you, you were saying that your doctor said like everybody's on a scale, and with people that have got like autism and Asperger's and things like that, they everybody's on a scale and a spectrum, and that. Yeah. And I'm I wonder if the normal in those quotation marks is actually what like you know how society should behave a certain way, but. Yep. Should, yeah, should, and do people that have extremes? Is that an illness, again, in those wee quotation marks, or is that just, we're all fucking different? Mm. Like, yeah. And we're trying yeah. to tame you in to be normal, but as long as you're not harming yourself or anyone else, can you? Then, yeah, well, if, yeah,
1: if you look at it all um, in terms of, I guess, creative geniuses, have had madness in them, you know? Um, like Oscar Wilde was uh, definitely uh, bipolar. Um, We've got, you know, we've got, well, we've got lots of people. Stephen Fry has um, bipolar one, um, which is um, not as extreme. It's not high, like he doesn't um, see things, but he just gets this, what's called hypomanic. Um, So he's well known, but then you've also got Kerry Katona um, and um, what do you call her? Britney Spears. I was raging when Brittany shaved her hair. I was like, she's putting the cause back. Oh, dear. Everybody will think that that's what we do. But here's the funny thing. I actually did shave my hair in a manic phase in my 20s. So, yeah, I did it before Brittany. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh I was the trendsetter there. And um, uh I just remember... um, yeah, I remember going into the barber's and he's like, Are you waiting for somebody? I says, No, I'm waiting to get my hair cut. And he's like, What are you getting? I says, A number one all over. And he was like, I can't do a number one. I'll do a number two. So he cut, he was like, He couldn't shave it really, really short. And he's like, If you've got cancer or something, I was like, No, I just don't want to have hair anymore. <laughs> oh dear and it was yeah that was quite a strange one and when i went to australia i actually looked like a convict because the photographs i got for the for the visa had this bald head <laughs> but um you know it it grows back um oh yeah. Uh-huh. yeah yeah um
0: do you feel better with the medication
1: i yes and no so <clears throat> when this so the latest mania the doctor put the um, antipsychotic medication. They increased that um, by three times. Um, so, I, like my, so it was three times the level. And to be honest with you, it absolutely stopped me in my tracks because I ended up with it's, it's the side effects and symptoms of the tablets that are worse sometimes than the actual mania. Um, but one, it was helping me to sleep. But mostly, it was um, it. it they dry your mouth up and I could barely speak. I was like, you know, and I just felt like I could barely string a sentence together. It was pretty much stopping me in my tracks. And um, that was really hard. Uh, So as I started to get better, so I was being seen on a a daily basis and then um, every couple of days and then weekly, and then they changed the dosage. They dropped it down. um, But it's still a higher dosage than I used to take. And it's taken me a while to get used to the, as I say, the side effects of it rather than anything else. Um, But I guess I consider it is one of the things with bipolar disorder is adherence to the medication. So a lot of people, when they're feeling stable, um, you know, I had 10 years of stability, effectively. Um, um, And so you would think to yourself, oh, well, there's nothing wrong with me. My mom goes mad. She's like, well, if somebody had a heart complaint, they wouldn't stop taking their heart meds because it was making their heart beat properly. I'm like, okay. So she says, you, you just keep taking those meds because they're making your brain work properly. Um, so yeah, I just, um, I'm always of a mind that someday I'll come off the medication, I'll be medication free and I'll be able to manage my symptoms on my own. But I need to be realistic too.
0: Have they looked
1: at your brain, like
0: done brain imaging to see?
1: No, no, No. I mean, especially when I was first diagnosed in Northern Ireland, um, it was something like five months after the mania before they actually, um, before they actually gave me my diagnosis. It takes that long. I mean, Northern Ireland Health Service is terrible, terrible, so slow. Um, But, you know, it's just a, it's just an interesting country. But uh, no, they would certainly not have wasted any money on me getting brain scans that wouldn't be of interest to them at all.
0: And I'm thinking as well, like people like Gabor Matty and Bessel Wonderclock that talk about things happening where you've had adverse childhood experiences and trauma and stuff like that. Yep. Have you ever looked into anything that they do to maybe deal with the trauma? Like Yes.
1: Yes. So I did uh-huh. I have done um TRE or trauma release exercises, which are basically I mean I love TRE. I I was reading a yoga magazine and um, I hadn't been sleeping very well. So I I was just like tired. What is it? They call it tired, but wired. And I was like, I know I need to carry on, but I'm really tired. And I'm reading my magazine and it said, "Is TRE the new yoga. And I'm like, what is TRE? So I straight away started typing up all this stuff. And it turns out um, that there was, what was she? I think she was a psychologist. Um, but she also was a TRE practitioner in um, Peebles, which is only 20 minutes from where I lived in Bigger. Yeah. So I decided, right, I'm going to go and meet with this woman. And I did it. I, so I, I did it, a, 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 I think I went to her three times. Um, really interesting. So the way TRE works is it, it's basically like a tremor or a tremble. So they say things like if, um say, a deer is in, in the woods and... I don't know, a wolf comes along to eat it. The deer runs, and then after the deer has got to safety, it shakes out all its fur, it shakes everything out. And that releases the trauma. It doesn't stay in the body. Um, they, I think a lot of it came from um, Bessel van der Kolk's um, experience in, in the war. I think it might have been Kosovo. And he was saying that they were in a safe house, the Babies were wailing and moving, um, the wee ones were trembling. the teenagers were fidgeting, and the adults were perfectly still because we as adults have learned to hold this response within us, but it never re- unless we release it, it stays in our body's tissues, and um, it comes out in other ways. Um, in mental health conditions, in self-medicating, in how we treat our um, partners or our own children or whatever, um, so it is really good to release this trauma. And I think we're only on the cusp of this work at the moment. Actually, I think it's fascinating
0: stuff. There's a lot um, of like to autoimmune conditions as well.
1: Yeah, and it just for me, like I only went three times, and it 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 did everything I needed it to do and she's like no you could continue to do it at home and I was like well I don't feel the I don't feel the need for it anymore um it was uh again it was releasing you know long-held memories and I just yeah I just let them go um one of the things that she had suggested because of course I was like oh happy days I'm going to learn how to do this I'm going to teach this this is going to be brilliant um that's typical you know teacher and student and me and the psychologist actually advised me not to she said you're again it's this it's this where I am on the scale in terms of sensitivity um she says like it's bad enough you doing it on your own she says, but I say you went into a room and there's twenty people lying on the floor trembling, releasing all that energy. She says, You would suck all that energy in and she says you'd be, you know, levitating above above the floor. She says, You need to be a lot more grounded before you I would ever recommend that you do the training. Um, and I'm still not there yet, you know, so Yeah. 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 yeah I
0: mean, basic wonder clock's work is amazing. Yeah. yeah. I think there's so we could, we are only just coming into that understanding of how trauma.
1: Yeah, I'm looking. I'm I'm going to stand you up because I can. Um, so I've got so there's this guy here. I don't know if you can see this, David Bercelli. That's the revolutionary trauma release process. So it, he's the one who was in like Kosovo or something. Um, he was the one that that you know witnessed the different reactions of the children to the adults. You know. Yeah. um yeah and um yeah but that that whole work is yeah is really interesting um they're also talking about which it might be of interest to you um, there's another one that i had there called the the inflamed mind and it's looking about how depression could be about inflammation mm,
0: yeah that would be so
1: sense. yeah yeah um i think yeah everything's connected
0: yeah and there's so much to understand about the body
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, For me, the endocrine system is something that's absolutely fascinating, but not well enough studied. I also am interested because now I'm in my mid-40s, what does that perimenopause or menopause look like in terms of mood swings, you know? um, My GP had been asking me things, have you been having mood swings? And I'm like, yes, but I blamed it on my bipolar. Have you been having this? Yes, but I blamed it on my bipolar. Yes, I blamed, you know, and this continued. And it was like, actually, maybe this isn't anything to do with my, my mental health and it's actually to do with my hormonal health. And that as the estrogen starts to die away, the adrenaline has to you know the adrenals take over and so i'm reacting to things in a worse way than i ever did before yeah it's going to be an end Who knows? and
0: has the yoga helped does yoga help you
1: yes and it's really interesting because having initially trained as a kundalini yoga teacher almost 20 years ago and then leaving that behind to do hatha i'm now back Come on my practice is kundalini yoga that's what I practice. Um, and it can be a bit... Um, sometimes they describe um, a kundalini rising experience where that energy stored in the base of the, of the um, spine moves up through the chest, reaches the crown of the head. You reach enlightenment, but if it happens too quickly, it's a little bit like a bipolar manic episode. Mm. So it's that energy just shoots up. However... I am finding that the Kundalini helps me to control my energy in a better way. Yeah. So yeah. So pretty much exclusively since the summer, since I am, um, uh, you know, I had that last manic episode, I've been using the Kundalini to keep my energy levels and my mood. and try trying not to let that mood dip so, so low. And I find that Kundalini helps that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah I don't really know much about Kundalini yoga. I haven't, I went to one class once, but it wasn't a Kundalini class so much as it was a meditation thing. Okay. Um, with gong bath. There was a gong bath, but there was also the—is it kalabata breathing?
1: Okay. Yes.
0: With the pulsing in the stomach. Yes. And yeah. the chant as well. That you had to pulse and chant at the same time for like. 16 rounds yes where you like, go so I just don't know it was all about mental and I couldn't uh-huh. and actually that breathing is a contraindication for me because I've got Crohn's so okay I shouldn't have even been there <laughs> but I didn't know that until uh-huh. after we started and I remembered I was like oh for my yoga teacher training I was like oh I shouldn't do this breathing so I ended up just sitting there going wait for the half hour and then once started the gong was amazing like the gong bath was
1: amazing i was like oh Mm. yeah this is the good bit you've worked but you feel like you've worked really hard to get to the good bit i think um when you do those specific breathing techniques for chanting and yeah Yeah. strange strange movements as well um but i do i i just i um i've added an aspect of Kundalini into my yoga teacher training, even though it's a hatha yoga 200-hour course, and we do a weekend on Kundalini. Um, not that it's going to qualify them, you know, to wear a turban and white clothes, but just that there's a lot in the Kundalini that you can use in a half a class um, as almost like fillers and spine mobilizers, and you know that sort of aspect, the movements that we do in Kundalini. Um, you don't, you know, they're usually heated movements and um, the teacher isn't going around correcting you. You're not static or standing still. You're moving as you sit. Um, so it, it's an interesting um, addition, I think, into, into Hatha Yoga. So, yeah. And, and I try to do it without freaking people out.
0: Uh. <laughs> Sometimes I think we need to be freaked out a little bit. Like well, true. Too safe. All the time, like even with what's going on in the world just now,
1: we're
0: in these little cushioned bubbles of we know how our day is going to start and end, and then all of a sudden, when something a spanner gets thrown into the works, you have a complete meltdown because you don't know how to deal with something different. Yep. So having experiences of these differences is actually going to be really useful for everybody's resilience.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, and I do I do these things um, that, that are part of kundalini. They're called a 40-day sadhana. So a sadhana is like a spiritual practice. So you commit to doing something every day for 40 days. And if you get to day 39 and you've forgotten, you have to start again at day one. So my last one, I got to day 20 and forgot I, I was away so I forgot and uh, so I had to start again but I've actually I've given up on that one because <laughs> I was doing my head <laughs> which is not very spiritual um, but I am a, I'm starting a new one on Friday and it's another 40 days but Friday is the equinox so I thought it was the ideal time and it's going to be a kundalini um, mantra and movement um, for really for these times um, so yeah so it's going to be really interesting it's probably only going to be about three minutes long because the ones I normally do are 11 minutes which is fine if you, you know, everyone has a spare of minutes but you'd be surprised for three minutes is doable
0: yeah
1: you know you get to the end of the day and you're like oh my god sometimes I got into bed and realized I hadn't done it and got up just to do my little movements um uh-huh because it's it's a making minutes. a commitment to yourself you know yeah
0: totally and it's yeah 10 minutes. I can get up a few minutes but if it's 11 yeah. minutes
1: no, I know yeah or 41 or yeah yeah
0: yeah it's picking it wisely <laughs> wrap up is there anything else that you would like to say that you haven't asked you about
1: um no I think that's uh-huh, that's me I'm just um yeah I'm just glad to get talking to you um, even if it is virtually and I know that yesterday because every time i look on social media everybody's going online and it is totally the right thing to do um yoga alliance professionals who accredit my training and active iq who accredit the pilates have all said it's fine for us to do online stuff at this time um so it's going to be a whole new world as you said earlier it's going to be a, a learning curve for all of us um, but it felt like i went to bed last night night feeling good because I felt like I'd done something I've you know I've made the commitment this is what we're doing I've emailed my my teacher trainees and told them and um, yeah and it's going to be fun times
0: ahead yeah totally and I think being able to connect to people and chat like this on the computer rather than just sending a text message or commenting on people's Instagrams or whatever to get more connection so that when we're allowed back out again yes you will actually want to go and see people and i think it's going to do a lot for everybody to create better connections
1: yeah the studio i work in um they did a zoom last night um, and yeah. just to talk about that we're all going to go on soon but it was the f- first time i'd seen about five of the teachers you know because what normally happens is i go in i teach my classes and then leave and they go in on a different day and teach their classes and leave so we've never really same. met each other yeah so it was like I've heard of you but I don't know of you and it, that was really lovely to put faces to names and um uh-huh. and we we're probably going to be sitting in on each other's classes just to get that experience um so it's uh-huh it is it is definitely lovely to see your face lovely yes. to see and hear uh, I know and I missed um I missed the last fit pro meeting but that was because I was going to Northern Ireland um, yeah. And basically, that that I spent ten days in Northern Ireland, and it was, um, it really was the end of days. I thought I wasn't going to get back, you know. Um, so I was just like, oh, I'll go to the next one. But our next one might well be virtual, and that's yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, so how's your mum? My mum is good. Um, so right. So what has happened now is the rheumatoid arthritis is fine, but oh no, the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is fine, but she has rheumatoid arthritis. So that is, yeah, yeah. so yeah, so she's getting um, treatment for that. Um, yeah, which is uh, a bit like chemotherapy. You know, you have to go in and they have to, to give it to you. You only get it every six months. The
0: um same kind of infusion that I get, that they give for rheumatoid arthritis, very yeah. similar to what I get for Crohn's. Um, there's a lot of crossover in those medications.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's, um, yeah, so it's interesting. And again, that's another one. I think she was nine months before she was diagnosed. She was nine months in chronic extreme pain before the NHS you know, finally got round to diagnosing her. And the um, the incidence of rheumatoid arthritis is huge in Northern Ireland, but um, Again,
0: yeah. It's trauma-related.
1: Yeah, but oh, God, the yeah. The
0: joints is definitely trauma-related. Um, that, Gabor Matty can't... talks about that in his book, The Body Says No. Um, yeah
1: yeah I think it's really interesting because she actually um it was shortly after I left and um her eldest brother died very um he died of lung cancer but it was very very quick he wasn't even formally diagnosed and um and he my mom and dad were on holidays and he said go on go on, on your holidays I'll not die before you come back and actually um they ended up keeping him alive on the on the machines until my mom and dad got to say goodbye to him and then and then he passed away and I think um, three months after that, I then moved to Scotland. And then, about a month after that, that's when she first started to show these signs of rheumatoid arthritis. And so, it absolutely is trauma related. And, uh huh. Um, but she's doing well. Um, my aunt was on the phone today wanting to go to Tesco. Yeah.
0: Yes.
1: <laughs> my mom said, We're not going to Tesco, wise up i don't know what my aunt was doing she was like oh well you know i'm dressed and i look nice i thought i'd go out to tesco no you should be you've got diabetes you know you're old and you've got diabetes you should be self-isolating not going to in tesco so um yeah so they're they're good i yeah i get into the chat every, every. <laughs> and uh, uh-huh cool where
0: is best for people to find you online
1: you can find me on stretchbodymind.com, uh, which is my teacher training uh, website, and um, you can also find me on stretchbodymind on Facebook. Apparently, you can find me on stretchbodymind on Instagram as well, although I'm not very good at it. And um, yeah, so I'm pretty much stretchbodymind across the board, um, and you'll find me. Yeah, you'll find me there. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for being on the
1: podcast. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it.
0: Thanks for listening. And remember to leave a review and subscribe over on iTunes or SoundCloud. And check out what's going on at IamJenWilson.com or head over to Instagram and give us a follow. Just following Iam.JenWilson.